Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bayou Chronicles. We're your hosts. I'm Bethany. And I'm Crystal. Um, first we want to give a, shoot, a huge shout out to everyone that tuned into our Twitch stream. Um, I know we're recording this a little bit ahead of the time, just so we're on the ball, but we just did our third Twitch stream a few days ago. Um, and me and Crystal had so much fun doing it. It was, it was an awesome night, and I really wish that me and Crystal could do Twitch streams more often, but right now we're sticking to the once a month. They are fun, though. I love them. I enjoy them. We love recording for you guys, but it's so cool to actually, you know, see our beautiful faces on the screen and people get to chat play it to back. you in real time. Yeah, and we get to chat and talk and um, discuss whatever topic um, they chose for us to talk about because we always get our next topic um, from those of you guys in the chat that come and hang out with us. So thank you guys so much for that. And also... Do not forget that if you love the material we are putting out, if you love hanging out with us every Sunday when our episodes go live on whatever day you listen to us, on your way to work, on your way home, if you're just tired of your kids and you throw your AirPods in like I do, um, yeah, thanks so much. And don't forget, you can always leave us a five-star review, um, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as you know, because you're listening to us now, but if you are on one or the other, we are on both. I did link us to Google, too, so if you just type in our podcast name, it'll come up under Google Podcast, too. Nice. Yeah. And you can also find us on our other socials. Um, our Instagram is Bayou underscore Chronicles. Twitter is just Bayou Chronicles. Um, and our YouTube, which is just getting really awesome. I really love that we upload our Twitch streams. So for those of you that missed it, can go back and watch it. And you can find us on YouTube at Bayou Chronicles Podcast. Um, and today's episode is going to be a tough one. Um, I just want to clarify, we will not be mentioning the killer's name or his family's names. And if you do hear Crystal mention... Um, the killer and anything other than that phrase, she'll be referring to him as Jay and his wife as E. Um, because a huge chunk of our research came from the 77 Minutes documentary by director Charlie Min. Um, you know, Crystal and I love to talk more about the victims and less about the killer themselves. It's just how we like to do things on our podcast. We are not putting down other podcasts that decide to kind of dig deeper into the killer we are just here speaking for the victims and we really want this to be about them but know that the killer and his wife will be mentioned um and that is exactly what charlie stated in his documentary you can watch it yourself on amazon prime um it is not included with your amazon prime uh video you will have to rent it it was only 2.99 though um, me and Crystal watched it ourselves, uh, several times, I know for me, and I know for Crystal as well. Um, and full disclaimer, it is, it is graphic, you guys. Very graphic. Um, and it's tough to watch because they actually got footage back from the crime scene in 1984, and it walks you through it just to kind of give you a better view of everything, and it is tough to watch, so I will just go ahead and add that in there. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pass it on over to Crystal for this one. 
Yes, so I do feel like I should include another disclaimer in case anyone um, has already started to look up footage or is uncomfortable in any way with what we're going to talk about today. Um, Today's case talks about not only the deaths of men and women, but the deaths of children as well. Um, This is your last warning. (laughs) This case is incredibly tough. I honestly was not prepared for how rough it was. Um, I cried a lot, I'll be honest. I did as well. Uh, it, this is a tough it, one. It, uh, in all honesty, it probably put me and Bethany in a really horrible mental space all day yesterday, just kind of dealing and internalizing a lot of the things that we had read and watched and researched. So um, after this is over, take a second, clear your head, do something you love, because this is a pretty rough one. Um, I do truly hope that we do the victims justice and at the end of this episode, it'll make you even view every other case that we talk about in a different light. Um, I know that we don't always achieve a goal of bringing as much attention as we can to the victims, um, and who they were, but, you know, I definitely want to try. Um, I do also want to talk a to you a little bit about how important mental health is to Beth and to Bethany and I. We talk about it a lot on this podcast mm-hmm. and we both put mental health very high on the list of things that we're passionate about and that we care about. Um, in this case, the killer had actually sought out mental help at a nearby facility in town the day before the shooting took place. And it was later discovered that the receptionist wrote down his name wrong and deemed him not a high level of threat to himself or other people. Um, This would actually mean that he would not be contacted for 48 hours instead of the few hours that he was originally told that he would be contacted. Um, I do want to be clear that I am in no way justifying what happened that day because of this, but I cannot help but wonder if these people could have been spared if help was given more immediately which uh, that blew my mind well first when i watched the documentary and then when i did further research um about you know how he had spoke to the the receptionist on the phone and she just kind of she said that he seemed normal mm-hmm. and i don't think people realize nice and, yeah, yeah like look at all the other serial killers and mass shooters that we've had in history they their family and friends really had no idea mm-hmm. what they were about to do. And it's crazy that they can put people on a 48-hour hold. You could hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. You could obviously hurt a bunch of other people because that's what he wouldn't do. And they wouldn't call you back for another 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's sad to think that a lot of this could have been preventable. Mm-hmm. but It definitely could have. Um, so I'm just going to jump on into it now. Um I will give you a heads up before anything, before I say anything that is especially rough, just so that you can decide if you want to skip ahead or not. Um, so our shooter, who I'm going to kind of refer to on and off as Jay, was born in Ohio in 1942 and had what I would consider to be a pretty average life. Yeah, it was rough in some parts, but really and truly whose isn't? Um, At a young age, he actually contracted polio, and he was left with a slight limp because of it that he carried with him. 
Um, eventually, his father would decide to move the family to um, an area of Pennsylvania that was in the Amish country and settled the family on a farm. This immediately was not the life that his mother wanted to live, and she actually ended up abandoning the family. I had a couple of different things that I've heard. One version was that she went to live with or do street preaching for a Southern Baptist organization. And another one told me, someone else told me it was a Pentecostal organization. So I don't know. Um, but she abandoned the family and this obviously impacted him for a while. He went on to go to school to um, for sociology and get a license to perform bombing. Um, this is actually where he met his wife, who I'm going to refer to as E. Um, and they got married in 1965 and soon after had two daughters. It wouldn't be long in this marriage before there were reports of abuse and violence happening in the house. However, Jay wasn't the only violent one. According to some sources online, E was also violent and in a particular incident, she encouraged her daughter to assault another girl at a birthday party. E would later threaten the same girl's mom with a gun and ended up getting arrested. So oh, She sounds like a real gem. They, I mean, they're a gem of parents, you know, like, they're really great parents. Um, soon after that, their home actually burned down in Ohio, and I should say that at this point... Um, he had a really nice house. Like, at one point, this man was pulling in what would be today about $150,000 a year, and they had an incredibly nice house in the suburbs. Like, red brick, three stories, huge, gorgeous house. But, um, they lost their house, and so they had to move back to another part of town, another city in Ohio, and after about 15 years as a welder, he ended up losing his job. Sources suggest that this was because of a motorcycle accident that left him with a kind of a twitch in his hand and his arm that made it impossible to be a welder. As a result of this, the family needed a really cheap place to live, and so they decided to move to Tijuana, Mexico. I am not sure why they decided on that, but that's where they decided. After a couple of months living in Tijuana, they decided to go back across the border and lived in several small towns along the border before deciding to settle um, right in the border town of San, um, oh my god, I just totally forgot how to say this, Is this San Isidro, yeah. sorry, like I wrote it out for me to say it the right way, but I still forgot how to say it, San Isidro. Um, San Isidro actually sits about a mile from the Mexican-American border, um, and it is home to the fourth busiest land crossing on the planet. And as someone who has been through it, because I have been, I can tell you that it is absolutely insane. And when I tell you it is insane, there are cars everywhere. Everybody looks like they're about to get into a wreck. It is like 75 lanes that are trying to converge into 30 lanes, which are trying to converge into, like, four lanes. It's ridiculous. There's chaos everywhere. But um, as a result of being so close to the border, restaurants around the area were often incredibly busy with people who stopped for food as they were coming or going to Mexico or just to meet friends over across the border. Um, but this 
would ultimately be the case on July 18, 1984, when this um, shooting happened. It was packed. The McDonald's is actually on San Ysidro Boulevard, and this particular day, like every day, it was packed with families, travelers, workers, and unfortunately, this day would ultimately scar the community forever. Jay was known to rave about hating immigrants. Um, I found one thing that says his wife even called him and said the closest thing that she could think that he was was a Nazi, which, okay, great. That's a great thing to say about your husband, but mm-hmm. that's a great thing to say about a man you married. Uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. 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 <laughs> the whole thing is very odd to me because technically we have a man who is originally from Ohio He's a white guy who who really is the immigrant in the situation. Um, Unless he's Native American, he's not from this He's country. not from here, so his family isn't. So our country was founded on immigrants. Like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, more like it's overtaken, but it runs, like, on immigrants. Um, that's just how it is. That's a topic for another podcast and another day, but it's very frustrating to think about how much he hated and how much he had this xenophobic outlook on life when he made the choice to move to a border city that has a majority population that is Mexican and Mexican American that don't claim to like they're not want to have this country they're just coming think about what they deal with in Mexico they are they are just there to make a living they are there to live and at the end of the day, he made the decision to move there. And he, they were just trying to eat a, a, a meal. They were just trying to be a family, and they were just trying to go about their lives. Yes. I'm not going to get this mad yet, because I cannot promise you that I'm not going to get through this without crying. So, anyway. The day of the shooting, he actually spent the morning doing pretty normal stuff. He had a parking ticket and a ticket for not having a registration sticker and something else that he had to go to the courthouse to settle. It was like a bunch of stuff into one, and they just told him to show up first thing that morning. And he actually got it all, like, taken away. He didn't have to pay any fines, nothing. He got off scot-free. After that, his family decided that they were going to go to San Diego Zoo, which if you haven't been to the San Diego Zoo, I highly recommend. It's gorgeous. I love it. Um, and then he actually ended up going to eat at another McDonald's with his family. This is not the McDonald's that this happens in. This is a different one. Mm-hmm. So apparently he was in a McDonald's mood. Um, just, just eerie. Is the very. fact that he earlier that day sat inside a McDonald's and ate around people. And I have to wonder if he was thinking about it already. I, I miss, I, he had to have. I think when that lady didn't call him back the mm-hmm. day before, it was already like in his mind. Yes. Well, at some point during the day when he was, you know, just hanging with his family and having what you could consider a normal day, he had actually told his wife that he was done with people and he was done and that society had had its chance. And his wife kind of just thought it was his normal ramblings because this wouldn't be the first time she heard something like this. He had actually, not long before this, tried to kill himself, and she had to talk him down and get the gun away from him. Um, 
she mentioned that it was very normal for him to talk about wanting to kill himself and being done and that normally what she would do would be to calm him down, talk to him and actually read his like read his tarot cards, like read tarot cards to him and that would calm him down sometimes. And it's a little strange, but I'm not here to judge. Considering tarot cards are an immigrant thing. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm not here to judge. Um, after that, he ended up dropping his daughter and his his daughters and his wife off at their apartment. And he began loading his weapons and loading them up and getting them on his body. Um, and he's actually said to his wife when she asked where he was going, um, he, he walked over to her and said... Um, that he is going out to hunt people. We never want to blame families for what someone else did. But you have to ask yourself why she didn't do anything. I feel like when we say it, because we have talked about that before, and we always say we're not victim blaming, we're not family blaming. But this is like completely different, you guys. This is like... He straight up told her what he was going to do. Yes. She claimed that as she kissed her husband goodbye, that she didn't think he was serious and that he was just going to clear his head. But he was armed with three guns. And not just like... And I will go into what guns he has. Yes, but it's not just guns. But so many things leading up to this could have prevented this. There were signs. There were opportunities. And all it takes is one person to All she had to say say. was, don't go, don't do that. Let's think about this. Are you, do you really want to do this? Can you please not? And it wasn't, she just laid down and took a nap. Mm -hmm. She was literally taking a nap, sleeping peacefully during Mm -hmm. all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. So as he walked out of the house, um, a neighbor actually saw him walking out of the house with with weapons, out of the apartment with weapons, and actually called the police. But when they reported it to, to 911, the dispatcher actually said the wrong address, and the cops showed up to the wrong place, so they never actually got There's to... so many instances in this mm-hmm. case where wrong names and wrong stuff. It was just like... I hate to say it. But it was almost like it, it was fate. fate. Mm-hmm. It's sad to think, but how hey, many things yes. went wrong for this to happen? Yeah, the killer actually lived about a block away from the McDonald's where this horrific scene was about to unfold. It was, in fact, about 200 yards away from the family apartment to the McDonald's restaurant. Nobody knows why he chose McDonald's. Some say it was fate. Um, some say it was just sheer chance. But at 3.40 p.m., it was rush hour, and summer was in full swing. It was hot. The restaurant was packed and so full of life. Young workers were laughing and getting through their shifts as fast as possible. I mean, after all, it was summer, and who wants to be stuck at work when you could be out with your friends? Mm -hmm. Families were escaping the heat to cool down with some ice cream, and this was probably before their ice cream machines were always (laughs) broken. (laughs) Um, and letting their kids play in the play place. And I don't know about you, but, like, this was my favorite thing to do as a kid. I mean, I even had a birthday party at McDonald's. I did. It's some of my, it's, it was, like, me and my grandparents, like, tradition was, like, if we, 
because where I grew up, my hometown is like 30 to 40 minutes away from like any major cities. Mm -hmm. And we literally had one tiny grocery store, one gas station. You guys, we had one red light in my town. So like even to go to McDonald's, we would save it for the day. Uh, one day a week, we would go um, to the next town to get groceries. And we would always stop before at McDonald's and get, um, I would get a Happy Meal, of course. Mm-hmm. And we would all get a hot fudge sundae. Yep. And that was our thing. And I really cherished that. I'm glad I had those moments with my grandparents. I know. And that's hard for me, too, because I have such positive memories of McDonald's as a kid. And, like... I feel like now I don't. Like, now I don't. Yeah, I was like, now I don't. Because as a kid, like, I did. I had, like, I had pictures of me having a birthday party. Like, a legit, because they used to have birthday parties that you could have at McDonald's. And people would dress up in the little costumes. And, like, and they gave you, like, a little birthday cake. And I loved it. Those were some of my favorite memories. But this has now kind of ruined that memory. But I cannot imagine the people that were there. They will forever. I I don't think they probably would have ever eaten there again in their life or even stepped foot in the door. The families of the passing. And then just think about the survivors. Because a lot of them have survivor's guilt. Some of them had never spoken out about it until... The 77-minute documentary. Mm-hmm. It was just, they, and I'm sure you're right, I'm sure they're a big screw you to McDonald's. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not McDonald's. Some, you probably will say it's McDonald's fault, but it's not McDonald's fault. Mm-hmm. It's the man that decided to go in there and shoot people. Yeah. So, that day at 3.40, John actually arrived at the McDonald's and exited his car loaded down with weapons. He entered the restaurant and walked directly over to the front counter. That's where 16-year-old John Arnold was standing at the register ready to take his order. As he looked up, he saw Jay pointing a shotgun right at him. Jay pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. Talk about luck. He then started to mess around with the gun, and Arnold just thought it was a really sick joke. Um, As he started to walk away, that's when his manager came over, and Arnold was suddenly shot in the arm with a shotgun pellet and dived under a table seeking shelter. And we have to remember here that nothing like this really happened, and if it did, it was rare. Um, it was 1984, not today, where we have, for a lack of a better word, just gotten used to it. We are really desensitized to gun violence. Um, and as a statistic to kind of put this in reference for you, from 1949 to two, to 1999, so what is that, 50, 60, 60 years? 50 years. 50 years? Mm-hmm. Okay, 50 yeah, 50 years. Sorry, I'm bad. <laughs> You're good. 50. So 50 years. There were 11 mass shootings with 10 or more victims, okay? From 2000 to now, so 2000 to 2021, so 20 years, there have already been 17. So for 15, for 50 years, we had 11. Mm-hmm. And in just 20. 21 years for we, 20, we've we had, had 17. 17. Just think about that. This is not to get political at all, but I just need you to think think about that. I just want you to remember that. That when this happened, gun violence was not something that happened every single day. This is when it was first starting to because we've had more since like the 80s to now. 
but this was not a huge thing that people worried about like we do today. Jay actually then switched weapons and focused on manager Neva Kane, who was just 22 years old, and he shot her across the body with an Uzi. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to cry already. She had only been married about six weeks and had just come back home from her honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely breaks my heart that her husband had to bury his wife literally when they had just gotten married. That's not fair to her. That's not fair to him. That's not fair to their family. That is not fair to anyone. Mm -hmm. He actually would end up using all three weapons in the course of the shooting. The first, obviously, as I mentioned, was the shotgun. And this was a modified shotgun that was used during the Vietnam War that was made so that you could um, attach a bayonet to the shotgun for close quarters combat. The Uzi that he um, used, which if you're not familiar with, they are an Israeli-made weapon. This is not... This is not Call of Duty. This is yes. not Warzone. So, like, don't think about video games. This was, like, in real life, somebody using these weapons. Yes. And, in fact, this Uzi was modified for it to be legal in the United States. So, in this case, the barrel is shorter. And then his last one that he used was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, which was also used um, extensively in war. So, it should be noted that these were not just your average shotgun. This is not your average rifle. This is not your average pistol that a family may use for home protection or because they enjoy shooting. And we're not saying that if you, because I know Crystal said we're not getting political. We're not saying if you own weapons or have weapons in your house that that means we think you're going to go out Absolutely and shoot Right now, where we're filming, I have several guns in my house. Yes. I have one that I keep in my Jeep for protection. Like, that's absolutely, without a doubt, not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this man walked in here with weapons of war, with literally things that people would use in war on innocent human beings. So mm -hmm. that is, again, I'm trying to, as respectfully, paint the picture but have you understand that this was not just your regular weapons that can still kill someone, but are not, that are used for protection. This is this is weapons of war. Now, I'm going to really get into some really deep stuff. And if you don't want to listen to it, you probably should just skip to the end. Or if it starts getting rough, just skip ahead. Um, but it really just shows how sick the killer is and how much help he truly needed. Um, I tried to find as much information about each person as I possibly could. There's not a whole lot, but again, I made that my point of research. Like, I wanted to research these people. And that was a good part thing about the documentary is they had some of the family members come on and talk about the victims, so it kind of gave us more of, like, a... Insight like into a, it. Yeah, yeah, an idea of them. Yes. So, um... As people started to hide around the restaurant and start screaming, um, one of the first sets of victims that he actually walked over to were a group of women. 
and they consisted of nineteen or eighteen year old Jackie Reyes and her eight month old son Carlos and her eleven year old niece Aurora Pena. Um, her friend Maria Colmenero Silva was nineteen. Ooh, that was like that was spot on. I'm very proud of you. Okay, look. So oh. there's very few <laughs> things that I can get right when it comes to speaking Spanish, and a lot of times it's the name, well, last night names. Yeah. Yes. That was spot on. I, I, yeah, I practiced that one too. There's one in here that I butcher. <laughs> oh yeah. But um, it's hard, and we don't mean to be disrespectful. We're honest when we guys, say. Guys, I'm I'm Mexican American, <laughs> but when I tell you I speak no Spanish, and no one knows that until. They try to speak Spanish to her. And then I'm just like, I don't speak any of that. Like, I can understand you a little bit, but I don't speak it. I'm really sorry. If someone wants to give me free Spanish lessons, I'm totally down because I regret not learning it. Um, but Maria was there with... Um, Maria was there. She was a friend of Jackie. I'm sorry. And then there was sisters Claudia Perez, and her. she was nine, and her 15-year-old sister Imelda. Jay immediately shot Maria in the chest, killing her, followed by nine-year-old Claudia. She, he then turned his weapon to Jackie, who was using her body to cover Aurora and Imelda. Aurora was shot in the leg at first, but several minutes into a lull in the shooting, she opened her eyes and saw Jay looking at her. He proceeded to shoot her again, however, she did survive. Um, Which is amazing. Yes, completely amazing. Jackie would end up being shot 48 times, and her body was so damaged that her sister said that they could not even bury her in her favorite pink dress. Mm -hmm. She was also pregnant at the time of her death with her second child, and laying next to her, um, laying next to his mother's body was Carlos. Um, she had all, he had also been covered up by Jackie when the shooting started, and he ended up sitting up and start crying, like any other eight-month-old baby would. Mm -hmm. And this disgusting piece of crap on the bottom of everyone's shoe walked over and shot the baby with the pistol. I think that's the part that got me. I, the, the part that got me, this is the part that got me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, Crystal It was loves, the babies. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the witnesses, a lot of the survivors said that, like, the kids screaming was the thing that irritated him the most. Yes. Which doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. Because he was a parent. He's a parent. And, of course, this baby's going to cry. You just shot his mom. And he doesn't know what's going on, and it's loud, and his ears probably hurt. He shot his cousins. They're laying next to him, He doesn't too. know what's going on. He just knows his, like, doesn't even realize what's going on with his mom. Like, he's, he's a baby. He's eight months old. Yeah, and, like, to just, I don't know. That was pretty, and he, and they said... He was also buried in um, his baptism suit because he was actually just baptized, mm -hmm. which just, like, uh It breaks my heart. It, it really does. It does. And the fact that they couldn't bury her. They couldn't. In her dress. Yeah. They, couldn't have a, they couldn't have an open casket service because mm -hmm. her body would just basically terrify everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's disgusting it's, what kind of human being this is. Jay yelled for everyone to get down and started 
shooting calmly into groups of people. And he was just using the Uzi and just spraying. The inside of the building is like just bullet marks and holes and ricochets and... Yes. Because it's all stainless steel, so it was just pinging off the steel. And I think I should, you know, mention, too, that um, if you don't already know this, an Uzi is also a semi-automatic. So, it's not something that you have to physically keep pulling the trigger for. No, you just hold it down and let that baby fly. Yes. So, as he was shooting... Into the crowds, uh, Victor Riviera and his wife Maria were there with um, their two young daughters. Victor ended up making a plea to Jay to please stop shooting and to just put the weapons down and let people go, but this only made Jay more upset. Jay would end up shooting Victor 14 times while he tried, as he tried to convince him to stop this violence. It takes a lot of courage to stand up to a mass shooter that is taking down body after body after body in front of you. Maria and both her daughters would actually both be shot as well. In the documentary, she states that she told her daughters that the ice machine had exploded and that is what happened. She convinced them to go to sleep and she began to rub their heads until they fell asleep. When Jay came back around shortly later to start killing and shooting more people that he thought might still be alive, Maria played dead as Jay kicked her um, to see if she was still alive. Thankfully, due to the amount of blood that surrounded her and the children, he was pretty convinced that she was dead. Listening to Maria talk so highly about Victor really just warmed the deepest depths of my heart. But you could also hear the pain in her voice of losing this man that she loved. She had to choose between saying goodbye to her husband or or protecting her daughters. She mentioned that he had just gotten a really good stable job, that their life was turning around, and that this was, you know, what really was one of the first days of this real going forward is this really successful life for them and in a moment it was just oh, her story how she described putting him away in a box and mm-hmm. remarrying their thing she she i don't know she was just the She's... ultimate mom like she mm-hmm. knew she loved her husband and wanted to rush over to where he was she but... had to protect her babies yeah eventually he shifted this focus to lawrence pursuit Verse Luis, Verse Luis. I tried to look up the how to pronounce version of this, but I got a lot of different ones, and I don't know. So I'm gonna go with Verse Luis because that's what I have written down as like the most popular one. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a 62 year old truck driver who went by the name of Gus, which I just think is so sweet. I love Gus. I wonder where he got that from out of that name, but I like I it. read that Lawrence, like Gus was a nickname for Lawrence. Oh. But I don't, I'd never I heard of that. that. Neither have I. That's pretty cool, though. Um, the day that this actually happened was his retirement day. Oh. He had stopped for a cup of coffee, but now he was dead with six gunshot wounds to his chest. And this is, they all hurt me in a different way, every single one of them. 
but this one hurts me in the way that he must have felt so fulfilled in life, in life to just being like, I just worked all this time. Today's my retirement. I don't have to work anymore. Like, I get to enjoy life. And he's 62. And not, he, not many people make it to even 62. And not many people get to retire yeah, at 62 retire, this, yeah. nowadays. So this, this one, this one hurt. They all hurt. Nearby was 31-year-old Blythe and her husband, Ronald. They were there with their 11-year-old son, Mateo, and his best friend, 12-year-old Keith. Once the shooting started, Blythe used her body to cover her son, Mateo. Ron used his body to cover Keith. Keith would be shot in both arms, and Ronald would be shot six times, including in the head. Blythe and Mateo were both dead, having been shot several times in the head. I do think it's important to note to note as well that when Ronald was shot, he was shot, and then about 45 minutes later, Jay came back around and shot him again mm-hmm. during this check to see who was alive that's and who a, was that's, dead. That's a good tidbit to uh, remember yes. for later. So, it is... It is sad because of this, in this situation, Ronald lost his son and his wife, um, but he did end up saving Keith, who, from his interviews, it's very obvious that he did suffer survivor's guilt from this whole thing. Oh, heavily. And even mentions that he was never the same person after this. And why would he be? He he would have been a completely different person. He, this something like this doesn't. You don't come back from this. You don't become the person that you were before this happened. You have to transform into something different. And you can't dwell on it because some good came out of it. Because I believe he was the one that ended up having five kids. Mm-hmm. I think he was a father of five in the interview. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe that's no, why he was, he was co-owner of a of his a own plumbing, company, yeah. a plumbing company. Yeah, and maybe mean, that's why he was meant to, you know, live on. Live on. Next was twenty-four-year-old Guadalupe Delria. She ended up meeting up with her friends, twenty-five-year-old Gloria Ramirez and thirty-one-year-old. I'm gonna butcher this, and I'm sorry. Ardrisselli? I've. I feel like that's pretty close. Arrest. I've never seen that name. I've never seen this name, and I'm really, really sorry. Um, Their last name is Vargas. Delria was pressed up against the wall by her two friends who were using their bodies to shield her. She was shot, but it ended up not being incredibly serious, and Ramirez was completely unharmed. Miss Vargas was had a single gunshot wound to the back of the head, and she later died at the hospital. She was one of the only people that she was the one of the last people to die, um, and one of the only ones that made it to the hospital alive. Nearby, in another booth, Jay shot and killed forty-five-year-old um, international banker by the name of Hugo Velasquez, and he was shot. Um, with a, he was killed with a single shot to the chest. Whew, okay. These are deep. I'm sorry. I'm trying to go slow so I don't 
immediately burst into tears. I feel like that's better, though. I would rather them... I mean, I would rather none of these people be shot and killed, but I'd rather it be just one shot and done compared yes. to the other people that were shot over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And a lot of them bled out. Yes, that's the cause of death for a lot of these, which is also important information to hold on to. Astolfo and Maricela Felix were walking toward the restaurant. They saw the shattered windows, but they assumed that the restaurant was just undergoing construction. Jay immediately started firing and hit Maricela in the face and body. Um, Her four-month-old daughter, Carla, was also hit in the head and the body. Astolfo was hit in the chest. As they ran separate ways, Carla was handed off to a stranger who, with the help of a police officer, actually got Carla to the hospital. Um, It would be, um, they would actually all end up going to three separate hospitals when this happened, and Astolfo and Maricela would not see Carla for about two weeks. Um, Mm. They, Mm. and none of them knew if each other was alive. They just were separated, and that scares me because for them, this tragedy did not end when it ended. It continued for several days. Mm -hmm. Um, I do also want to note it is very sad, but about, I think it was about 10 years later, Astafa was actually killed in a murder. Like, he was actually murdered. uh, In Mexico, because they did end up moving to Mexico because the whole thing was just so traumatizing that they just they just wanted to get away. So they didn't end up moving back to Mexico. Yes. And, yeah, unfortunately, he was murdered. He was murdered, yeah. Which that family, man, like that. It's just tragedy after yeah, tragedy. Yeah. Um, next, we have Joshua, Omar, and David. And they were your typical 11-year-old boys. They had just rode their bikes to the Yum Yum Donut Shop for a quick snack, just probably like every other 11-year-old boy at the time. Mm -hmm. Their next stop was to go to McDonald's for ice cream. As they approached the entrance, someone from across the street yelled at them, but they really couldn't make out what was saying and didn't understand, and so they kind of turned around. Josh turned around, and when he did, the gun started firing. The gunshots rung out. And he would end up being hit in the stomach, the butt, his arms, and his hands. Omar had turned around completely and was hit multiple times in the back. And David, who did not turn around, was shot directly in the chest. Josh, who survived, stated that he thinks David went instantly. However, Omar, he remembered Omar starting to shake violently and vomit just before he succumbed to his injuries. And I personally cannot fathom what this must have been like for an 11-year-old child. To me, it just says a lot about a person who can just so willingly shoot children without batting an eye. I mean, being 11, and not only being shot yourself all across the body, Mm -hmm. but watching one friend die instantly, and then another friend go slow. Go slow. I can't imagine. As Josh was laying on the ground, um, you have to remember all of this happened very quickly. This was not like one person over time. This all happened very quickly. Um, As he laid on the ground, that's when he saw um, 74-year-old Miguel Victoria and his 69-year-old wife, Ida. Um, They were walking towards the entrance of the restaurant as well when they were shot. 
Ida was shot first, right in her face, and as she collapsed to the ground, Miguel held his wife and started to wipe the blood off of her face. Jay walked over, and Miguel started to curse at Jay and basically plead and ask why he did this and yell some obscenities at him, um, but Jay ended up just shooting Miguel in the head. During the search of the kitchen, Jay found six more employees hiding from him. He immediately opened fire, killing 19-year-old Elsa Barboa, 21-year-old Paulina Lopez, and 18-year-old Maggie Padilla. 17-year-old Albert Leos was shot seven times and states that the only reason he is alive is because the gun ran out of bullets and Jay went to reload. Albert used this opportunity to try and escape. He went towards the emergency exit, which was at the bottom of a flight of stairs that had 25 steps. There, he found a storage closet that held five employees and a customer who had also tried to escape, but found the emergency exit door was locked. That's a whole other story for a whole other day. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people could have got out if that door (sighs) wasn't locked. That morning, Paulina's sister convinced her to go to work. Paulina did not want to go in. She was not feeling it. She It was just one of those days where she just wanted to stay home. But Paulina's sister convinced her that since she was so new to this job, that it wouldn't look good and that she really needed to go in. Her sister states that she still feels guilt about this to this day and has since raised her kids in the way that she interacts with every person is that if someone does not want to do something, she does not force them because she, in this instance, she forced someone to do something and she lost her sister because of it. I can respect that and I love that. That's how I do my style Mm -hmm. of parenting and that would be pretty hard to deal with. Yeah, because it was just an older sister, you know, looking out for your younger sister, so... It's tough. Now, by this point, if you're a sane person, you're probably wondering where the police are. And this is actually exactly what the victims of this horrible event were wondering, too. People soon began to speculate that the police failed the city of San Ysidro that day. And I'm not here to judge and say if they did or they didn't. Oh, I am. (laughs) Bethany always judges. (laughs) I am. But I try to keep neutral. Um, To start, the responding officer originally headed to the wrong McDonald's. When this call came in, they were actually sent to the wrong McDonald's. On this particular road, there are two. Mm -hmm. One on the west side, one on the east side. And they responded to the east side location. The responding officer said that He wasn't completely at the other McDonald's yet, but that it still wasted about five minutes, give or take. The first 911 call was received at 4 p.m., or really just before 4 p.m. The first to arrive at the scene, who was the responding officer, was a man named Mike Rosario, who immediately radios that shots are being fired and fires back two shots. Um, it also should be noted at this point that he, his only weapon is a thirty-eight. And again, if you're not familiar with guns, the gun that he had 
versus the gun that Jay had are significantly different. Like, mm-hmm. one's going to shoot a hole in you. Yes. Because it's a shotgun. Yes. One's going to tear your skin because it's an Uzi. And then you got a modified pistol. So, and then he, this cop is firing back with basically the equivalent of a pea shooter at basically this point compared to these yeah. other ones. It's it's nothing. Hit you like butter. Yes. I mean, not, not being dramatic, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. By 4.10, there are command posts set up and SWAT is alerted. Police quickly have the restaurant surrounded. Paramedics are on their way and a life flight helicopter is en route all before 4.20. By 4.23, descriptions of the suspect are being communicated and the shooting is continuing. And what I mean by that is there are still shooting happening inside of the McDonald's. So all the people that I just told you about, while this is happening and while they are being shot, there are police outside. And they are inside bleeding out and have been bleeding out for a while now. 435, SWAT arrives and starts to relieve the responding officers and position snipers on the roof of the post office next door. The roof gave a perfect view into the restaurant. By 5.04, they have an accurate view of the suspect and ask for orders to kill. SWAT commander Jerry Sanders is not, is just not on his way to the location yet. He was at a meeting and his pager did not go off. <laughs> and as when he finally does hear about it and he is on his way, he hears them give the green light to shoot to kill, being given, and he rescinds this order until he can arrive. By 5.13, he finally arrives and gives the official order, shoot to kill. From the ground, SWAT officers fire at the building after Jay shoots at them. By 5.17, Charles Foster has eyes on Jay and shoots him with a single gunshot chest, gunshot to the chest. Through the heart. Like through it was the spot heart. on. Like that it was went, a good shot. Yes. It went through the heart, nicked an artery, and exited out of his spine. So he was dead. Dead dead. That's just crazy that for for twenty minutes, almost thirty minutes, that sniper was sitting there and could clearly shoot him and the and the commander made him wait until he got on scene. Yes. From the time the shooting started to when he was killed was 77 minutes. Which gave me chills when you're watching the documentary. It's like, as of right now, this, this is how long the shooting has been. Yes. Um, I thought it, I, and I've seen it a few times, and every mm-hmm. time he says that, I just get like, I don't know, it's like my my body levitates out of my body. That makes no sense <laughs> at Your all. soul levitates. Yeah, it's just like, it makes you think about, I've just been sitting here watching this, writing notes, playing around on my phone, and people have been being shot and killed this mm-hmm. entire time. Um, during the course of this, he fired 257 rounds, killing 21 people and wounding 19. Oh, my God. Um... I'm also going to side detour off my notes a little bit and talk about something very controversial with this. A lot of people feel, I'm assuming Bethany too, 
feels that the police and SWAT massively screwed this up. And I'm not here to say that they didn't because I think they kind of did. There's a lot of things that they could have done better. But they claim that a majority of the people had already been killed by the time they got there. Well, first, remember, they said that they didn't think anybody had been shot at all. Yes. Which makes no sense, because Crystal just described three young boys shot right outside the entrance, clearly laying on the ground. Yes. And then there's the elderly couple, there's the two parents where their daughter was rushed off to the hospital, Mm -hmm. not even inside the building, that's just out in the parking Mm -hmm. lot, and you're going to make a statement, because that was their original statement, is that... They didn't know there was a threat because they didn't know that anybody was shot mm-hmm. or injured inside. Mm-hmm. Well, you got more than enough evidence outside the building. Mm-hmm. So, the people who were actually inside of this terror um, disagree. They say that while a lot of people were already shot, that the shooting continued for several minutes. And that when he kept coming back to shoot the people, that that is when more and more of these people would die. And so they claim that had the police had come in earlier, that several of these people could still be alive because they could have gotten the medical attention that they needed. The coroner disagrees and says that a majority of the people would have bled out very quickly, if not died immediately. But there's not there any kind of help that these people could have gotten. There could have probably at least been one or two, at very minimum, that would have survived had police mm-hmm. intervened sooner. Well, I'd, why did he need to be there? Like, I know he doesn't want to get in trouble. He wants to, you know, dot his eyes, cross his teeth. Why did he physically... You have a sniper. You have a sniper that had already been known for being very good at his job, and he still to this day is decorated. I think he was, like, promoted afterwards. He became the mayor. He be, yes, he became the mayor. Um, And you're going to say don't shoot him, even though he's saying, I have clear eyes on him. I can take him out right now. He is in the building shooting people. And he even says at one point, I think he's reloading a weapon. Mm-hmm. And you're off at some meeting. I'm air quoting. I know you guys can't see us. Like, when mm-hmm. we do our Twitch streams. I did it a lot, our last one. And you're at this meeting, which is really a fancy convention for police officers, and you've had a few drinks. Which he claims he did not have. He still claims he didn't, but witnesses at the convention says that he did, in fact, have several drinks. So then you you drove drunk. That's great. (laughs) And then you have your sniper saying, I can clearly take a shot, and you make him wait like 20, 30 more minutes. They could have shot him, gone in, started getting the people out, and they mm-hmm. might have not and went it, to death. And, again... But they might not have, I, you know? I, I don't know how SWAT operates. I don't get it. But I have questions. Is it possible that someone could have gone in there with shields and 
at least pulled people out and I got mean, them. I mean, they do that now. But was that something they did I then? don't know if they did that back then. I mean, it, like we said, it was 1984. This was not happening. It had happened, but it was still very new. It wasn't as frequent. And, and when this happened, this held the title of being the deadliest mass shooting it was. until the Lubies shooting. But it literally became number one. It is now number eight now. It's but getting aggressive, and it seems like the shooters are getting younger. Yes. That's another topic mm-hmm. to talk about. But anyway, so that's the craziness of... If the police could have stopped this sooner, I do think they could have. But I also think that one thing that we're not um, kind of taking into effect or taking into consideration is that I think they were underprepared. They were underprepared. They were, they were not knowledgeable. They, were... they did not know how to handle the situation. It was probably a situation that they trained for but they never encountered anything like this and it was something that they did not know what to do they were just not prepared i'm just i'm still hung and, up on him not letting him shoot him. yes i owe me too i'm just hung up on me it. too but i but that's what i keep coming back to is i think they were not prepared and rather than admitting that they were not prepared and they did they were not they did not do their jobs correctly they are coming up with excuses I also think if I was that sniper that day, I would have been fired and let go. Mm-hmm. Because I would have shot. Yes. Once I had that clear... I can't... My Crystal said, we can't say that's not our job position. Mm-hmm. But think of all the people inside that were trying to stand up to him. That mm-hmm. were trying to stop it. And you're on a building. You're across the street. You're out of danger's way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to put that on him. Because I'm sure he already lives with it enough. Had... It, it, could he have taken the shot? I mean, he did. He mm-hmm. eventually did. But look how much time it took. Mm-hmm. I honestly think I would have been fired because I probably would. I probably would have shot. I probably would have shot him. I probably would have shot. But I'm also not in that situation, and I'm not under that stress. But I, I know in my soul, even today, if that was happening right now, my main thought would be helping anybody that I could. Mm-hmm. Now it would eventually be found out that. Jay held some extreme and paranoid views. These included the fact, or the thought, it's not a fact, the thought process that Presidents Carter and Reagan and that the U.S. government were all after him and trying to frame him. He believed that nuclear war with the Soviet Union was imminent and began to stock up on guns, MREs, supplies, everything, so that he could be, quote-unquote, ready for this nuclear war. Nuclear war had been uh, threatened since the 40s. We talked about that in our Roswell. Yes. Like, get over it, dude. It's still a threat in 2021. (laughs) And the government and the presidents don't care about some random dude from Ohio. Like, I promise you, they didn't even know who you were before this happened. That screams, and I did think about this when I was doing research, that screams paranoid schizophrenic. Yes. Has to. Like, you have to be. Like, no one just randomly thinks the presidents are after you. And that the Soviet Union is specifically going to bomb you and your, your house alone. Yeah. With a nuclear bomb. (laughs) 
Yes, sir. That is <laughs> that. And even if that's true, how does going and shooting up a McDonald's? I don't know. This man is stupid. That's all I have to it's say. Stu- I'd never understand these. Um, I just I don't like this man. I don't like this case. I don't like any of it. In a 2016 interview, Jay's daughter recalls how she actually saw the entire thing go down from her bedroom window. She remembers thinking that she was glad that it was not her that was being shot at. And she said that, you know, that that sounds bad. But in her young mind, she was just like, thank God I'm not there. Which I guess is kind of justifiable. It's understandable. That's her dad. But she did not know it was her dad. Yeah, but I mean. She did not know her dad was there. She did not know her dad was responsible. She just looked out of her window and saw all of this happening. And she even said that she saw, like, some of the people that she saw, she knew them. And that they, she went to school with the kids. And she saw these people. But from her perspective of just having, and again, I'm not blaming anything. If anything, I feel bad for her. She had this day with her family. They went to the zoo. They went to go eat. They're chilling at home, it was and a nice she, day. it was a nice day in her head. Mm-hmm. She did not feel the burden of all this, and she looks out the window, sees all of this happening, and everyone, you would be lying if you didn't say that when you saw this happening, that you would not be at least a little happy that it was not you. Maybe not happy, but glad, relieved that it was not you that this was happening to. She does go on to state that. If she would have known what her father was going to do, that she feels that she would have tried to kill him first. And she does not talk or give interviews a lot, but this particular interview was given after um, the, I don't know if you remember this case, I vaguely remember it. Two people, husband and wife, or I'm not saying, I'm saying they're husband and wife, but they shot up a restaurant and they abandoned their little dog, their baby like, an infant daughter behind the restaurant. I believe so, yeah. Well, this interview that she gave was what she would say to this little girl who has to live the rest of her life stigmatized by the fact that her parents did this. Because if you're going to talk about... Because, you know what I mean? Crystal don't like to talk about the killers. I mean, we will, just to give you some kind of... Context. Context, you know. If if you're going to talk about anybody in this situation, of course, 100% victims, of course... That's what we bring light to. Um, but think about the kids. Think about the children that didn't ask to be born to begin with. Didn't mm-hmm. ask to be here. Didn't ask to have the appearance that were very much crazy. Mom is threatening to kill or shoot your friend's mom at a birthday party. And your dad shoots at McDonald's. I mean, that's that's instant trauma and therapy for the rest of your life. Oh, 100%. And not to devalue the experience that the victims of the shooting have had but the children in these situations are to me victims as well they're not the same type of victim and i'm always afraid and i know it doesn't mean but i'm always afraid that if they're like a child of that product that maybe someday they'll go on Mm -hmm. to do the same thing well she even said that um after this happened they went to school under assumed like different names of course and because but it was inevitable that someone would always find out who her 
her parents were, her dad was, and that she was ruthlessly bullied and people, and for the longest time she even felt herself that she was going to turn into her father. And I could, I can understand that. Like, I can, like, if my father did something like that, I, and but I it, came from him. But it's not your fault, and I don't, under, yeah. I don't understand the bullying. I'm sure they mean well. They're just angry. Mm-hmm. But that child didn't do anything. No, this child did not do anything. But she was young. She was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And she actually says that she battled with it for a long time before she eventually got to the point where she realized that this was not her. Mm-mm. That she was not her father. And that she made it her goal to always be the opposite. And she actually ended up becoming a nurse. And so I feel like... That was a good thing. A lot, yes. of, a lot of people became stuff yeah. out of this. And she and she said that she ended up um, going by her real name eventually because That's she good. found pride in it and the fact that she is not her father's daughter, but this is who she was and she's going to live her life forward. And that now when people ask about it, she doesn't love to talk about it, but she's willing to because she knows that she needs to in order to move forward. It's closure. It's, mm-hmm. moving, it's moving on. It's what she needed. Now, her mother, on the other hand. We can just screw her. Screw, absolutely screw her. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to it. And Man. we will spend 15 minutes probably just talking about this mom alone. I'm just telling you guys, just warning. This is a long episode. <sighs> yes, I'm sorry. We can talk sorry. about it for hours more. Um, so, two whole days. And I probably said that very Southern. I apologize. But two whole days after the massacre, McDonald's already had its employees scrubbing blood off the sidewalks and floors in order to get the store ready to reopen because, you know, money's got to be made. That's why, I, that's why I said in the beginning some people, will, they have, they feel some type of way towards <laughs> McDonald's. Um, this angered locals and survivors um, so much that the decision was eventually made that they would actually tear down the store. Mm-hmm. Um, McDonald's donated the land to the city with a stipulation that said that it could never be bought or a new restaurant could not be like rebuilt on top of the land. I agree. Um, which I, I get. Yeah, I get. But I'm glad they donated it. Um, it stayed in the hands of the city until a local community college actually bought the land for an education center. And when this education center was created, they ended up putting a memorial um, right in the front, kind of like on the corner of the street. So I guess if you can descri- if I could describe it to you, it's a four-way stop. And on, if you were stopped in the fr- and you were facing ahead on your left-hand side in mm-hmm. front of you, would be the old McDonald's, which is now this education center, and to your right would be the Yum Yum Donuts that the boys cross the street in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of in the corner is where they've constructed this memorial, and it is 21 pillars, obviously one for each person who died, and they are hexagonal pillars, and they range in height from one feet to six feet. And I, I can on them, like... I assume this is to signify, like, the height of each person, give or take, roughly. I kind of saw it as age, but, yeah, I could see. Because, I mean, like, the baby would probably be about a foot, foot foot and a half. And then, yeah, that's just how I saw it. Um, 
soon after this, lawsuits came against the police department and McDonald's from members of the families that were killed, justifiably. I mean, I, I would have too. The, the back door that uh, they, it was locked. Yes. Um, unfortunately, these were all dismissed. Um, I kind of have a problem with this, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, because when the back door was locked... They kept... Okay, and, so they kept it locked because... They had instances of people coming in and trying to steal food, and they didn't want to lose any more product because, you know, time's money. Mm-hmm. Money is time. So they kept the emergency exit locked. Um, No, y'all. No. Y'all know my husband's a firefighter. That's a... That's, that's a... Safety that, 101. If they came in and did your inspection, you immediately gonna get shut down. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this scenario with these lawsuits i can understand why the police department wasn't sued well why they their case wasn't dismissed or why theirs was dismissed um i kind of understand it i don't agree with it but i understand it but you don't understand it or you don't agree with it i don't okay so i mean it's hard to see the police department in general not a lot of people win the thing i don't agree is the the sniper no i think he became mayor that's great but the but, sniper didn't come mayor the SWAT or the, the SWAT yes the SWAT, SWAT commander officer. yeah the one he's the one I don't he's the one I don't agree with he don't I don't if you made that many mess ups and you wasted that much time and your beeper didn't work fine but you had mm-hmm. you should have some other form of somebody to be able to get in contact with you yes the drinking while you are still on the clock yes you're at a meeting convention whatever you want to call it you're still on the clock and you're drinking um, and then he got promoted so many times after that and then became mayor and yada, 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 living his best life. And in the interview and the documentary, he, he just He was act- so smug. He was smug and arrogant. And it's it was almost like he was kind of blaming everybody else in the documentary. Like, it can't be me. It can't be my fault. We did everything we could. No, you didn't. Mm-mm. No, you didn't. You have somebody saying... Sir, I have a clear shot. Please let me take it. Give me the green light. And you want him to wait 20 minutes for you to drive your buzz self clear across town? And blame it on traffic because it was rush hour? And you blame it on traffic and you blame it on the windows being glared. And there's no way that anybody was shot inside when you have three dead bodies outside. And he kept saying that. And he's like, well, and then they brought up that everybody bled out. And he's like, no, they all died within the first 10 minutes. You have one victim that was shot 45 minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No, that's the part I don't agree with. And McDonald's, I mean, they're a big franchise, so. Yeah. And but I, they should have gave something to the family. They sh- well, they ended up doing a $1 million yeah, yeah. fund, but that was also very, made people very angry because one of the very first payouts that came from this $1 million fund was actually to E, to bury Jay. I'm sorry, I didn't know that part. What? Yes. Yes, and people were very, very angry because he was considered a victim. Why are we pay? why, why are we, in what, in what, world and then like why would she think that's okay to accept that if i was the wife okay let's say hypothetically she was a nice wife which she wasn't i don't like to speak ill of the dead she did pass away from breast cancer we don't care i say that respectfully she's not who we're 
But say I'm a nice wife. Say that I did try to stop him and I was afraid that he was going to shoot me. Because that could have been very well. He's got three weapons and he's leaving your house and he's got that red look in his eyes. And you are afraid. Pick up the phone. Call 911. Go to your neighbor's house. Your neighbor was afraid. They called Mm -hmm. 911. Or how about you follow him? Mm -hmm. Or you do something. Or the stuff happened up until this point. She knew. She knew. It is just like last week's case with Marie. It. The wife, wife knew. The wife knew, and th- she didn't serve jail time either. And this lady the didn't wife either. Knew. Um. But say hypothetically, she was a good, decent human being. She wasn't. I want to clarify that again. No. I would be like, no. Don't give me the money. Give that to the families. He can go be burned and cremated. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper. Look it up. Okay, people? Don't take money that is for actual victims. To vi- that, that baffles me that we are literally paying the shooter's family to bury him. Oh, yeah. I never, that baffles me. Shame on you, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I still think McDonald's should have been sued by by the families just for the fact that they were making their employees keep the back the emergency exit. Mm-hmm. That's for these situations: an emergency, a fire, a shooting. It was locked. Keep it locked because somebody, some homeless person that just looking for food might wander in the back door mm-hmm. and grab one single cheeseburger that probably cost three cents to make. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, to make you even more mad, the wife of J. E. Also filed a lawsuit against McDonald's and one of his prior welding jobs, claiming that the food that he ate at McDonald's and the fumes he inhaled at his job caused him to do the act. She obviously lost. She's a a crackpot. I don't know how else to... God. Um, I feel like she was grasping for straws um, and just trying to get whatever attention that she could. And she lost her breadwinner. She lost yes. the person that was bringing in all the money. Yes. So. Um, I think that was huge. And, I mean, in the documentary, too, they even mentioned one of the journalists mentions that he got a call the following day from E saying that she wanted to tell her side of the story. And what and they it, were willing to give her. Yes. And she, yeah. And in my Sick. opinion, there was nothing that needs to be heard about her side of the story. Her side of the story is not important. There's not nothing that's important about her side of the story. She doesn't have a side of the story. The only thing that was helpful that she said is she's the one that let the media know of him saying that society had its chance and he was going out to hunt people. But we don't care what else we you have yeah. to say. We already knew obviously something was wrong. We with obviously him. knew he's crazy. So everything else does not matter. Um Albert Leos, who was the young man who worked for McDonald's that was shot seven times. He actually has a pretty incredible story. He, he was my favorite. Mine too. He would actually go on to join the police department and eventually become a captain. Mm -hmm. And he made it known that he became a police officer because of what happened. Like That changed the outlook on his life so well that 
he wanted to use that to help people. And he even says, too, I don't remember if you remember the documentary, he talks about a time that he, there was a really bad car crash, and he helped rescue the person out of it, and that the person had 70% of his body burned. Um, but I think, I honestly feel like he was meant to survive to do whatever good he's he is doing now. He's just a good, wholesome, courageous person. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe if he hadn't been shot so many times, he would have helped people. He probably would have mm-hmm. tried to stop him. He probably would have tried to drag anyone. And they asked him that, you know, did you did you think about it? And he said, yeah, I did think about it. He's like, but you can't move that fast. Yeah, not when an Uzi is just spraying, spraying, yeah, spraying across the entire restaurant, mm-hmm. and he's walking over and spraying people that's already dead. So if you even pretending to be dead, you might get sh- might get shot, shot too. So, so like, so it's like, what are you gonna do? I mean, in this situation, he, I mean, he even says that he poked his head up a couple of times from where he was hiding, and there was just bullets just whizzing past of his head because everything in the back was stainless steel, and so it would hit it and then ricochet. And they were just trying to all lay as flat to the ground as possible to prevent from being shot. And, I mean, I completely agree. I would have been, too. And I wouldn't have been thinking about how I can stop this man. I would have been thinking about but even, how I can get out. But even him crawling down the stairs, he said he was trying to to, to, to get out and get help. Mm-hmm. Not even for him. This man was shot seven times. And he wanted to get help, help for, for other, other people. people. And now I'm going to make you a little depressed. I'm already I know. It has been 77 minutes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the amount of time that we have been talking, that you have been listening to this podcast, is how long these people suffered this torture. From the moment he walked in and started shooting until just now, when it will have officially ended. So... Yeah, you may have felt like this podcast was a little long, right? Well, imagine how slowly time moved for these people as they were bleeding out, as they were covered in gunshot wounds, as their families laid dying next to them, as their families laid dead next to them, as their children laid dead next to them. Unless you've gone through something like this, I don't think any of us will ever really understand the gravity of the situation i i think the closest and i've told crystal this before and we i eventually would like to talk about on the podcast the closest i've come to experiencing this is when we first moved to clovis um there was a teenage boy not too far from my home walked into the public library and opened fire on everybody and it's a small if you've never been to Clovis, I've talked about it on here frequently. It's very small town, and it was a very, very small. It was probably about the size of my, of from here to my kitchen and then mm-hmm. to the living room. Mm-hmm. It's not very big. We ended up shooting both librarians. He even shot a nine-year-old little boy, um, and one of the librarians did pass, and she was actually about to retire. That's so sad. It's and, devastating. Um, it rocked that town because nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. And it was it was all because he was being bullied at school and his parents would not seek help from him because the church didn't believe in that kind of stuff. So that's why me yeah. and Crystal are... 
we are screaming at y'all. We don't mean to. We don't mean to sound like a broken record, but mm. mental health is so important. You could save not only your life, but someone else's by seeking help. Yes. Um, if you do need help, please reach out to a trusted family member or friend, someone you can talk to. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Life not Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. They also have an online chat if you feel more comfortable doing that. You can also reach out to 1-800-950-NAMI, N-A-M-I, or you can text um, N-A-M-I to 741-741 for free crisis counseling. They can also do it over chat, over text message, over the phone, and they can help set you up with resources or just give you someone to talk to when you need it. So, I am really sorry that this case was so heavy, or as heavy as it was. I honestly did not expect it to be this bad um, until I really got into the research. So, if you please reach out to someone. I say it again. I'll say it a million times. Please reach out to someone if you, um, even if you're feeling sad, just reach out. I feel like we just need a... a our next merch just needs to be Mental Health Matters with our picture. Yes. I wish I had something really funny and happy to tell you, but I don't. I don't know how to end this without a happy note. If I did, do you have anything happy that you could share? I, we're not happy, <laughs> but we're going to have to hold Crystal to it. She is fixing to leave us to go on her anniversary trip. We will still be putting an episode yes, out. Yes, we are. Don't worry, guys. We are ahead of the ball. She is fixing to leave us for almost two weeks. Just yeah, shy just shy of two, two weeks. weeks. So she's going to have to, when she gets back and we record the next episode, give us some kind of warm, fuzzy story about I Washington. I will. I will tell you, one of the hotels we almost booked, but it was so far out of our price range, I was almost willing to compromise, <laughs> but it was a haunted hotel. I know. And I wanted to stay crazy. there so bad. You guys, I I'm hopefully soon to our YouTube, there's this B&B &B she keeps trying to make yes. me go stay in Texas. In Jefferson. I'm sure most of y'all, if you're local and you listen, you know about Jefferson. She wants us to go stay there, so maybe we'll record it and we'll put it on YouTube for you guys to watch. I just think it'd be but, cool. I've never stayed in a haunted hotel. One day I'm going to get her to the Real Life Stanley Hotel uh, with her mom. We're just going to go. It's I, a girl's my mom trip. has been trying to talk me into that since I it's was It's going to be a girl's trip. We're going to go. We're going to stay there. We're going to see haunted things and but anyways guys you gotta hold her to it and <laughs> a happy belated anniversary to crystal and tyler so she's gotta give us some warm fuzzy washington stories i know she's super excited to go visit up there because she's a huge twilight fan i do i have a twilight merch on right now she really does <laughs> um but i think that is all we have for you guys today as always, you can find us on our socials, Instagram, Bayou underscore Chronicles, Twitter, just Bayou Chronicles, and YouTube, Bayou Chronicles Podcast. And give us that five-star review, people. Yes, we would love, 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 love. Help the algorithm. Help more people come hang out with us and just be sad with us today with this episode. But we're also going to have some happy moments. So thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye.